Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. Uh, we will get into a little news with the Massachusetts uh, sports betting situation. We will give out our favorite stake or swap picks. Uh, but first, we will uh, retouch on a story that we briefly mentioned last week that uh, has definitely picked up some steam uh, since we recorded last week's podcast. And it is in regards to uh, a $1 million win on a Morocco bet, uh, Morocco to reach the quarterfinals, uh, which they did last week. They even progressed further than that. They, they have reached the semifinals. Uh, and so... I thought we could use this time to kind of talk about a story that came out with uh, that was written by Darren Ravel. Uh, he was able to speak to the better uh, in question, um, and I thought we could just kind of shed a little light because I think there were a lot of um, uh, misunderstandings or or you know hearsay about the situation. And uh, while you know we don't know uh, everything, uh, I think we you know Luke and I we are a little more informed uh, than, than most. So I thought we could give a little clarity. So uh, for those who are not familiar, um, this person this better uh, is a frequent customer of ours. And he reached out to PropSwap um, with, uh, with his bet, with his ticket, uh, asking for uh, essentially what the market value was prior to their game with Spain. So they had, um, they had, uh, won their group and they had basically had just had to beat Spain in the round of 16 to reach the quarterfinals. Uh, and the, the bet he sent us was uh, essentially a $91,000 wager on Morocco at 11 to one odds. Uh, and the market value we gave him was around $218,000. Uh, he decided to not list it for sale. Uh, again, this was to win $1 million. Uh, and, uh, he instead, you know, we didn't exactly know what he was doing with it, but he just said he, you know, he didn't want to sell it. Uh, and so uh, our Twitter account posted the screenshot of the ticket. Uh, it got a little buzz prior to the game, but once the game was going on and Morocco uh, seemed like they actually could win this thing, they go to PKs and then they actually finally won. This story kind of took off like wildfire, right? I mean, Again, you know, as we mentioned last week, at least Luke, you did, uh, you know, 11 to one odds, not the craziest thing in the world, but uh, winning a million dollars is is absolutely uh, insane. Uh, and so uh, uh, Darren Rebell uh, reached out to the to the better. Uh, he he gave some um, some background on, on who he is. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Luke, I don't I don't take it from there because I know that you were uh, somewhat involved with the, the connecting of the better and uh, and Darren. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no secret that we we assist Darren and other writers in help uncovering gambling stories in this country. And I think we are in a unique position where we see a lot of really cool bets. And uh, we, when people hit us up with them, typically they say, yeah, it's, you know, your job is go sell this thing. So they're incentivized for us to be distributing the screenshot of the of a mobile bet or a screenshot of a paper ticket, an actual photo of a paper ticket to go sell that bet, which is different than sports books where, you know, DraftKings, if they had a, a big bet, they're going to have to reach out to that gambler and say, hey, like, can we send this around? And it's just a little more 
uh, nuanced when it has when it has to come from the sports book. When it comes from us, like our job is get this thing publicized, and we're brokers. You know, we we're like a real estate broker. We're trying to flip a bet, so um, we're incentivized to move it around. And this is this situation is no different. Darren, we had uh, let him know we had this bet in our system before it cashed, and uh, we had we'd shared a, a couple of different texts about uh, the story and stuff, but nothing super substantial. And then all of a sudden, Tuesday morning, uh, Chicago and Denver time came around, and uh, it cashed, and that's when it just you know lit up like wildfire. Br betting probably uh, was was largely responsible for why that blew up, and of course, Darren Ravel wrote an article later that day about Tuesday evening, early evening, uh, and it totally blew up. And, you know, like we discussed last week, like, yeah, like, it's 11 to 1 odds. It's not that. The the odds aren't what makes this cool. What makes this cool is anyone. I don't care if you're Elon Musk, if you're betting $90,000 on Morocco to go to the quarterfinals. I mean, that's just a, a crazy um, amount of confidence on a team that had no business really being there for the most part. And, and you know, there's been a lot said about teams from Africa typically don't really go to the, you know, now they're in the final four. So um, they don't really go that far in, in the World Cup. So um, that, the $90,000, the initial bet amount was really crazy. And then, of course, to win a clean million dollars. And I feel like this isn't getting talked about enough. He clearly bet a specific bet amount so that it would win exactly a million. So, like, yeah. that's, I feel like that should be factored into the story more. So for those two reasons, crazy amount of confidence on a team that really wasn't a popular pick. And then later on, uh, it cashed for a clean million, just all around amazing gambling story and, and super happy for him. Yeah. Uh, and then also just to be clear, you know, just be, so when the guy, when the better reached out to us for the market value and decided at that point in time, this was a couple of days before, before the game that he didn't want to sell, that doesn't mean he can't change his mind. Right. So, uh, again, we, we're, it's still our job to go out there and find buyers. And so, uh, if he were to have come to us, you know, an hour before kickoff and was like, Hey, actually I changed my mind, you know, and it's, it's on us to have, you know, made sure that there was, you know, some, some interest and some knowledge around this ticket. Uh, but, I think quickly the the story may have changed at least you know in the social media world about like people saying certain things about what was said in in Darren's article was 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 fake and so you know I'll, I'll read just the first sentence of, of Darren's article it goes on Tuesday morning a twenty something year old teacher from New York said he was instructing elementary school kids how to play volleyball trying to distract himself from his bet that could return a million dollars and so you know. That is all true. Uh, people are saying that it's a, it's a fake story that he's that he's not a teacher that he's not this age, um, and because you know it's it's a fair thing to say that t- typically teachers don't make enough money uh, to to bet ninety one thousand dollars, which I I can't uh, dispute that. Now you know where the source of this person's funds come from. I don't know, and we don't need to know, and and that's not our our, our job to know where, where the source is. But um, for everyone out there who's saying there's no way that a teacher can make this bet. Uh, you know, I, I feel extremely confident in the fact that, uh, from what I know of this, of this person, that th- those are all true things, uh, and that he is a serious sports better, right? Uh, when he says he didn't share this with anyone, uh, I, I, I believe him. Um, and he's, he's come to us with some other crazy, crazy tickets. So, um, you know, although it's, you know, it seems, uh, unrealistic that, that a, a teacher would do this who, you know, not a professional sports better, um, I can assure you he's not a professional sports better. Uh, and, and, you know, and FanDuel um, did confirm that the ticket was real. So, you know, if everyone's thinking the ticket's fake, uh, FanDuel has confirmed it. Uh, and 
I think from what I know, uh, everything he told Darren about, you know, who he was and, and what he does, I think is, is, is factual. Totally agree. Definitely a real bet. Definitely a real person. Uh, his employment situation is real. Like nothing that Darren said in that, in that article is, is fake. hundred percent true story. Um, yeah. And then, and then the other thing too, that I guess that we should mention that was in the article was talking about the fact that he was able to get a break during school, during his class, uh, saw that the game was going to extra time or PKs. I'm not sure which one. And he put down like $150,000 on Spain, uh, as a hedge. Um, so again, also very impressive that he was able to do that. So, uh, I guess if we're being technical, he netted $850,000 instead of a million dollars because of that, of that hedge bet. Um, but I mean, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know that uh, Luke or I will never, um, you know, uh, uh, talk bad about anyone who's trying to make a guaranteed profit. Uh, always, always down for a hedge. And uh, yeah, I think that was the, the best of both worlds. He was able to guarantee himself a little bit of profit uh, if Spain had won, but um, $850,000, not a, not a bad day at the office. No. So, um, yeah. Uh, Darren had asked me after the fact, like, is this a large customer of yours? Resounding yes. So this is not new. This is not, uh, you know, he, and he mentions in the article that he built up his bankroll via large bets. Possible. I, I certainly can't dispute that. We've seen a lot of winners from him. He sold a lot of tickets on ProfSwap. He's, he's well-timed a lot of sales on ProfSwap by, you know, some college basketball teams, by um some uh nhl divisional bets some nhl stanley cup bets i mean he's yeah he's used prop swap as probably one of the one of our top 10 customers ever from a timing perspective and when to get in and out of bets i mean he's he's not stupid he's not a bad sports better and um yeah i'm super happy for him like we love the fact that this guy is a we call him power sellers the fact that he's a power seller on prop swap couldn't be couldn't be happier for him Yep. Um, so yeah, so uh, super exciting story. And, uh, you know, we knew that this World Cup would have at least one surprise in, in store for us. And uh, Morocco is definitely a team. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Morocco, I feel like everyone would be talking about Croatia, who was also a, a long shot that, uh, that made the final four. But um, yeah, very happy for him. And uh, we will uh, we'll let you know if there's uh, ever more, you know, more to the story, but uh, uh, happy to see him cash. Um, another story I want to talk about kind of switching gears uh, I know uh, a couple weeks ago on this podcast when we had uh, Ryan Butler on, uh, we were briefly talking about the the situation in, in Massachusetts. Um, it's you know, I, we don't have time today to to talk about the whole situation, uh, but essentially uh, after a long period of time, the the legislature finally legalized sports betting. But then, uh, and for every this is for every state, you know, the the legalize it in the legislature, but then the have to tell the commission to essentially set the rules and give out the licenses to the sports books that that want to operate. That's all very normal. But this whole process in Massachusetts is taking way longer uh, than normal. Um, but we are now finally at the stage where um, they are essentially, you know, what they call finding suitability uh, for these casinos. Uh, And so there are three uh, brick-and-mortar casinos in Massachusetts. There's the Wynn, which is near Boston. There's the MGM in Springfield. And then there is the Penn uh, Casino in in Plain Ridge. Uh, And so uh, last week, Penn uh, was in front of the commission, basically to be found suitable. 
And uh, and so I'm going to go through the story a little bit. There's 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 quite a few things about this, but uh, the casino company Penn National owns Barstool Sports. And if you listen to this podcast, you're probably at least somewhat to very to very familiar uh, about who Barstool is. Uh, Penn National owns Barstool and uses that brand name for their sports book. So when you see Barstool Sportsbook, that's really just the Penn brand, the Penn uh, brand of of sports betting. Uh, and so uh, Penn went in front of the, the Massachusetts Game Commission uh, last week to be found suitable. And the chairwoman said that she was at a, quote, crossroads regarding their license uh, with the concern revolving around Barstool's role in responsible gaming. Um, and another commissioner referenced a recent New York Times article about the Barstool founder, Dave Portnoy, uh, and said she was, quote, disturbed about the part in the article uh, that mentions the Barstool College football show uh, that was hosted on the University of Tennessee campus where there was advertising of gambling and alcohol, essentially saying, like, those two things, gambling and alcohol, should not be present on a college campus because, in theory, you've got a lot of people who are under 21. Uh, Penn defended Barstool at this hearing by essentially just pointing to other media outlets uh, that include betting talk on their shows and competitor sports books that are partnered with colleges. Um, I know Michigan State is partnered with some uh, sports books. I know uh, University of Colorado Boulder is partnered with at least one sports book. Um, and so really, the re so at th that meeting should have resulted in a vote, but uh, what ended up happening was that the, the vote got postponed for a later date. So, Luke, I will ask you, is this a fair criticism from the Massachusetts Game Commission, or is this just posturing based on a, a recent article that, that Dave Portnoy himself called a, a, a hit piece? Yeah. So a couple of things to unwrap. Uh, I read the whole article, the whole New York Times article when that came out. The author's point was, look, Portnoy is now very, very entrenched with the gambling app. And the fact that he's like the face of this sports betting brand, even though Penn National's behind it, but like he is the one that's advertising and is like literally the face of this. Like literally on the advertisements, it's his face. On the advertisements in the app, like couldn't be more advertised. No one knows who the hell Jay Snowden is, the CEO of Penn National. No one has a clue. Everyone knows who Dave Portnoy is. So the, the author's point was that these rules for who needs to get licensed when gaming uh, apps, sports betting companies go live in a certain state are antiquated. I agree with that. I agree that who needs to get licensed is probably a, a old rule that needs to be revised. I agree Portnoy should probably have to get licensed. The next question becomes, if Portnoy has to get licensed, is he suitable? I certainly have no clue what happens in the bedroom or all these hit pieces that Business Insider wrote about. I don't know about that. Generally speaking, do I think he's a pretty good guy? Doesn't lie to people. You know, this this FTX thing. Clearly, that kid, Sam Baker-Fried, was lying. Like, do I generally think Portnoy is a good person and isn't lying for the most part? Yeah, I do. But that's not my call to determine if he's suitable for a gaming license or not and that's up to the regulators. But back to the first question, do I agree those are old rules and probably should be updated and Portnoy should probably need a license? I do. So, um, you know, that's that's my stance on the on the Barstool slash Penn merger. It's really an acquisition because Penn National has now acquired all of Barstool or at least 51% of it. 
at a $450 million valuation, which is way short, but that's a topic for another day. Um, so, yeah, and then just quickly on the on the Tennessee campus thing, I don't know. I mean, you know, we went to University of Arizona. Like, there was, there was liquor advertisements, I feel, like either somewhere near the stadium, inside the stadium, like, and certainly these days, like, um, many, many college venues sell alcohol. I didn't realize that University of Illinois then Champagne sells alcohol inside the basketball arena. I thought that wasn't even happening. I found that out a few weeks ago. Um, so there's alcohol getting sold inside of the arenas. Why can't we advertise for the alcohol outside of the arenas? Like that doesn't seem logical. So, and then the gambling part, you know, I think Portnoy responded that look like we didn't push gambling. We were talking about the gambling lines on the pregame show. Okay. Now in fairness, you know, this is back to Arizona. Like we had college game day on campus in Tucson. And these days college game day definitely talks about point spreads. So, you know, can you talk about point spreads at college game day, which takes place on a college campus every Saturday afternoon? Seems like the answer is yes. So, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and I think that these commissioners, um, it should be, responsible gaming should be a huge concern. I, I think that that is something that, that game commissions should be taking a hard look at. However, I don't think that uh, Dave Portnoy and a couple other guys at Barstool doing a show on a college campus and talking about the lines while also advertising probably, you know, high noons, you know, in the background is somehow break is somehow breaking responsible gaming because they're basically encouraging what under 21 or 21 year olds to drink and gamble at the same time. Like, I think that is a far stretch. I think when it comes to responsible gaming, uh, there are way more predatory things being done in the industry. Uh, I mean, look no further than my email inbox, uh, about just the, the types of offers. I mean, the same game parlays, yeah, you know, all, all this stuff. I mean, that I think is way more predatory, uh, than, you know, advertising and alcohol next to a, a sports book on, on, a, on a college campus. Uh, and I think, you know, Barstool is going to keep, and Penn are going to keep finding themselves in this situation because of the fact that Portnoy is the face and he comes with all these other things versus, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings. They have kind of like, they've outsourced the, the Dave Portnoy, you know, effect, right? So, like, FanDuel's got Pat McAfee and, you know, the, the, the hire other people and kind of, like, disperse that promotion of, you know, odds boosts and same game parlays. And it's not this, like, one-for-one one attachment like you have a Barstool where it's like, oh, he's the founder and he's doing all these other things. Um, and so uh, I think, yeah, they're going to keep running into this issue. But uh, I think, in my personal opinion, um, you know, you can say what you want about Barstool, but, like, the they're not what they do i don't think is is necessarily like uh bad for for responsible gaming sure yeah i mean we got you know you and i talked about this over the weekend we got Cowan coward pushing same game parlays you know kevin hart's pushing um betting on the, the team overdog where you at like betting on underdogs at or sorry betting on favorites at underdog odds like i there, there's way more, um, hey, like, you've never made a sports bet before? Here's your, your gateway drug into the world. Like, I don't think that's any different than Portnoy doing on a college campus. Now, if, if the argument is, well, those advertisements weren't happening on college campus, like, okay, like, how does Colin Coward know 
where his Twitter followers are. Like, what's the difference between Colin Coward pushing it out to all everyone on Twitter that follows him? Like, if a 19-year-old follows Colin Coward on Twitter, like, is that is that irresponsible advertising? Like, I just, I don't have a huge problem with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and look, and uh, I think a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, another story that revolved around people not being able to get their money out, right? Uh, I mean, and there was another period of time during the, the legalized betting industry where, if you could request a withdrawal uh, and then you could cancel it within 48 hours, that I think is way more predatory because essentially they are just begging people to, to leave their money in and, you know, you know, when, cause once you get the money out, then you're like, okay, maybe I'll, I won't, I won't make a deposit. Right. But they're just begging you to keep the money in there. And I, and I personally, I think that's uh, way more predatory in terms of, um, you know, addict, you know, uh, addictions and, and, you know, the emails, he sent, the email offers they send out to people who they clearly know, uh, probably have a, you know, a problem. Uh, I think that, yeah, that that's, that's way worse, but, um, I think this is just, you know, Penn kind of knew what they're getting themselves into. Right. I mean, it, it, but at the same time, this is why Penn and the Barstool Sportsbook has by far the least mar- amount of marketing cost. Their their cost per ac- their uh, cost for acquisition per user is way lower than the industry average, and it's certainly way lower than you know FanDuel and DraftKings who spend a ton of money. But because that's because, like I said, the outsource to other people, and Dave gets to just you know he, Dave and Big Cat do it for free. So uh, you know, on so one hand, that's great, but this is kind of the, the downside that, that comes with that low marketing cost is that uh, the face of your brand uh, you know comes with all these other uh, issues and baggage. Totally. Um, so, uh, last thing on that, just super interesting that like, it just, uh, amazes me the local regulators for these companies, giving them the most grief, like in New Jersey and, um, you know, Indiana and Illinois and Michigan, like no problem at all for Barstool. But now all of a sudden Barstool, you know, started out in Boston, the, that I, I would imagine they have the most followers in Boston, maybe not per capita, of course, divided by the state's population. But I just find it interesting that like these local regulators with a company that you would think would get the easiest pass is now yet again, Massachusetts is going to give the biggest pushback to their, their brand. Like Barstool and DraftKings are like literally like the, 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 the boys, like they're the, the the stars of the Boston economy, like they're two of the most successful co- companies that are found in Boston. Of course, Harvard and MIT have produced amazing robotics and tons of other B two B brands and a million companies that came out of that area. But in the sports gambling space, like DraftKings and Barstool are two of the best, most prominent brands that that began their roots in Mass in Massachusetts. So it's just very ironic that the local regulators are pushing back on companies like that, just like San Francisco pushed back the hardest on Airbnb and Uber. And um, yeah, very ironic, but um, not, not again, not totally off base. Like if you're gonna force Portnoy to get licensed, like that, in my opinion, like that conversation should have been had in all these other states. Like it's just ironic that Massachusetts is now going to push back the hardest on, you know, one of the local companies. Yep. Uh, as we say, uh, don't call it 50 states, call it 50 countries uh, yeah. in terms of uh, the differences uh, state to state. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason uh, as to if they you all... get treatment in one state that will somehow relate to another state. There's just absolutely no connection whatsoever. Totally. And they all 
each state. Like, <laughs> I feel like the early states, New- so New Jersey, of course, was state number two after Nevada had it for years. Like, New Jersey set the tone. So now all these other states, like, the further we get away from New Jersey, away from 2018, each state is trying to one-up the other. So they're trying to be like, oh, no, we're smarter. You know, Mass is going to say we're smarter than Ohio. And then Ohio is going to say we're smarter than Indiana. And Indiana is trying to say we're smarter than Mississippi. And, like, each state is trying to, like, one-up the prior state to show that their regulators are the smartest regulators in the country. So, you know, it's it's a disadvantage to some of these companies who are now getting license in the, the the last states, the most recent states to to go through sports betting legalization. So very, very ironic and we're we're obviously right in the thick of it. So we know. Yeah. Uh and yeah, the last thing I'll say is like, you know, and what we don't know is the the backroom talks between, you know, a company you know, a casino company or sports book who's very powerful in one state, you know, kind of getting in the year saying, hey, you should, you know, take a look at this company. Uh, it's all about, you know, who, who's got the power and clout uh, in, a, in, a, in a certain state. And, you know, these regulators and legislatures they need to make it seem like they're doing their job, right? They don't want to be like, you know, if they got their job, that means they made promises to certain people to look out for their interests. Uh, and so just to say, hey, we're just going to like boilerplate copy some other state. Then those people are gonna be like, "Hey, you're not you're not doing your job, right?" So, um, yeah, they all feel like they need to recreate the wheel in each state. So, uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll wrap up that convo. Perhaps there'll be uh, more to come there, uh, but uh, fingers crossed that Massachusetts will get sports betting uh, in the next before at least before the Super Bowl. But what we will see. Um, but speaking of the Super Bowl, uh, it's that time of the episode where we go to stake or swap. <laughs> The first team we'll, we will be talking about uh, are the Detroit Lions, currently 125 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, they just came off a, a win against Minnesota, where they were actually favored uh, against the 10 and 2 team. Uh, so, Luke, I'll start with you first. Are you going to stake or swap the Lions? I am going to stake the Detroit Lions. Um, I thought that was a fishy spread last week. I just generally like the Vikings as well. I didn't think it was an outlandish spread for the Lions to be favored over the Vikings, but a little bit fishy, but clearly the, the book's new. So um, Lions beat the Vikings, like, and they were pretty much in control of that game. Like, They were you know, 11-point win over the Vikings, so... Um, this team's for real, and their last four games are against the Jets, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers. So, um, you know, pretty easy schedule um, that this team has. And, you know, now in fairness, they are two games back from the wild card. So um, they are six and seven, and the Giants and the Commanders are seven and five. Um, I seven, trust five and one, they, they tied good point. Yeah. Seven, five and one. So I don't trust the giants at all. I haven't trusted them the whole year and the offensive line stinks. I think Daniel Jones stinks. Saquon's looks better. It seems like he's, he's softened a little bit at the end of the season versus the first few games where he was just balling. Um, so I don't trust the giants. The Seahawks are one game ahead. You know, I, I like them. I'm not in love with the Seahawks, um, 
Uh, although Geno Smith looks to be a lock for comeback player of the year, which is an awesome story. Um, so, and uh, the value is 125 to one. Like I said, like, I just feel like th- there's value there. I'm not, of course, I'm not saying this team's going to win the Super Bowl. Of course not. But for a team that the defense is playing well, they got Jamal Williams playing well. This Jamison Williams story is crazy. Like he tore his ACL at the, the national championship last year in January. And here he is catching a touchdown pass, um, you know, in, in December. So crazy comeback story for him. So I just feel like there's value there. They're getting hot at the right time. They have a really easy remaining schedule. I kind of like the Vikings. I still like the Vikings and they beat the Vikings last week. Um, so for all those reasons, take a stab on them, throw a unit or two on Alliance future, and then flip it on props up once they get in. And, you know, my last point would be like, say they get, you know, they'll probably get, if they get the last um, seed, they wouldn't have to play the Eagles the first round. But like, who else? Literally, we're talking about the teams right now that are in Eagles, Vikings, Niners, Bucks, Cowboys. Like, as we talked about last week, I don't trust the Cowboys. Cowboys almost lost to the Texans this past weekend. The, the Niners have Brock Purdy. We're literally only talking about the Eagles that the Lions can't beat. So for all those reasons, I think they're live. I think it's worth, you know, putting a unit or two on a future and then selling it on props up in a month. Uh, yep, I, I completely agree. Uh, you hit on a lot of the points I was going to make, but I'll just throw a couple of these uh, stats out. So, uh, you know, you said they're playing well. They've won five of their last six games. Uh, according to 538, um, they have a 20% chance of making the playoffs, uh, which I think is actually a tad low. Uh, but again, that's why you're getting triple digit odds here. Um, you know, you mentioned that the Giants are currently in a seven spot, but the Giants, the commanders play each other this week. And, and if the commanders win that, you know, and then uh, the Giants, I believe, play the Eagles at the end of the season. Now, granted, the Eagles may not need that game at all. Um, but, you know, there's the... the, the the NFC East, you know, ha- currently holds all three wild card spots, uh, and I just got to imagine that one of those teams is going to drop out, and uh, ain't, ain't going to be the Cowboys. But I think I think it is going to be the Giants. They're trending in the wrong direction. I also think the Seahawks are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, so I do like the the Lions to get that seven spot. Uh, if they do make the, as a seven seed, they would play the two seed, which are currently the Vikings, who they just beat. Um, you mentioned their, their remaining games. Uh, they have the fourth easiest schedule uh, in terms of uh, opponents' uh, win percentage. Um, and like, like you said, this offense it puts up points. They're, they're fifth in points per game. They're fourth in yards per game. They score touchdowns in the red zone 75% of the time. That is number one in the league. So, wow. um, yeah, uh, this offense is clicking now. Granted, is it, you know, are they a dome team and can they not, you know, play in the road? But again, if they go to Minnesota, that's also a dome. So um, I think at 125 to one, uh, that is some definite value uh, uh, banking on the idea that they will make the playoffs and and maybe even get a, a first round upset against Minnesota. Or, as you said, you know, the 49ers with Brock Purdy. Uh, and so then uh, switching uh, to the AFC, the next team we are going to talk about are the LA Chargers currently at 45 to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I will go first. I am going to stake the Chargers as well. Um, just going, I think I feel like it's a tale all this time, the Chargers and their injuries, but just to go over a couple of their uh, wide receiver injuries, 
Keenan Allen uh, missed eight weeks this season, uh, but he's played the last four games. He had 12 catches uh, this week against the Dolphins. Uh, Mike Williams, who you know I love, I love that guy, uh, he missed five weeks uh, and then came back against the Dolphins, had 116 yards and a touchdown. So uh, they have gotten two of their biggest offensive weapons back in the lineup healthy, and if they can stay healthy, which I realize is a big if, uh, this team is extremely potent uh, on offense. Uh, despite these injuries, Herbert is still second in the league in passing yards, right? So with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams missing a combined 13 games, uh, Herbert still second in the league in passing yards. Uh, again, back to the remaining schedule part, they have the second easiest remaining schedule in terms of opponent uh, win percentage. Uh, and then last but not least, again, talking about, you know, whether or not they can make the playoffs. Uh, as of Monday afternoon uh, on FanDuel, the Chargers were minus 170 to make the playoffs. So the sports book is saying uh, they are, you know, they're, they're favored to to get one of those wild card spots. They're, they're definitely not going to overtake the Chiefs in the division. But um, if they get in the playoffs, that that team is that team is extremely live with with their weapons. Uh, and I think as we saw last year with the Bengals. Uh, if you get a hot quarterback uh, in the playoffs, uh, and uh, they can string, string some wins together, so uh, for those reasons, I am staking the Chargers at forty-five to one. I like it. Totally agree. We talked on uh, before we started recording this that um, uh, blindly these were our two picks to pull the both stake. So we're on the same page here. Um, I like this team. You know, I guess I would add. Uh, some some inside information here. Last uh, winter, uh, Gabe Rangel, who we had on the podcast earlier this year, he's uh, Jalen Hurts and Lane Johnson's trainer. Where uh, the Bears play the Eagles this weekend in Chicago, so we'll be at a very cold <laughs> Bears Eagles game this weekend. But uh, last winter, we were sitting down with the Chargers long snapper, and he would he literally was one of the oldest guys in the league. Of course, Brady is the longest tenured, but I think this long snapper was the second most tenured. NFL player was like 43. Of course, they don't get hit in games, so they can play forever. Mm -hmm. And um, he was talking about this guy, Brandon Saley, who's the coach of the Chargers. He's like, man, like I've been around so many coaching staffs. Like this is one of the most impressive coaches I've ever seen. And last year, he was up for coach of the year. Saley was. It seems he was like the favorite pretty much the whole season. I'm not sure who won last year's coach of the year. Um, he was the preseason fair, but, but, but you got to make the playoffs if you want to win that, if you want to win that award. And of course the loss to the Raiders in the last week of the season. And that kind of, that put the Raiders in, but the Chargers out. Yeah. Yeah. So of course he did not win coach of the year. My point is he's a well-respected guy. This long snapper has been with a ton of regimes. He loved Brandon Staley. So smart coach, of course they've had injury issues. I get that. Justin Herbert looks like he's peaking at the right time. He's he's been okay the whole season. He hasn't looked terrible. He just hasn't had any weapons to throw he's to. Like second in the league in, in yards. Yeah, like he still needs more weapons, in my opinion. They need to give him some. And I'm not a huge Michael Williams guy. I love Keenan Allen. He looks amazing, uh, but of course he's been injured for the whole season. So, um, really good head coach, good quarterback. It seems like they're going to get into the playoffs. Like, there's just a lot to like about this team. Um, is Bosa able to come back before the season's over? Or is he done for the season? I think, I think he, he will return. He will yeah. return this season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty confident he's coming back. So, um, you know, just solid football team. And um, they just beat the Dolphins, who also is a wild card. And the Bengals are in. I probably like the Bengals a little bit more than the Chargers, but the Bengals, we're selling Bengals tickets right now on Prop Stop at eight to one odds to win the right. championship. Right. Like, they are a single digit 
favorite as opposed to the Chargers. You can find the Chargers at 45 to 1 or 40 to 1. So you're getting five times the, the return for making a Chargers bet instead of a Bengals bet. Like, there's just value there. So um, they're peaking at the right time. With Bosa coming back at some point, I think there's some value there. And uh, with a combo of Herbert, uh, uh, of course, the head coach Salem and everyone returning right now, I, I like the Chargers for uh, for some value. Again, neither of these two teams, I'm saying, are going to win the championship. I don't think the Chargers win the championship. I don't think the Lions win the championship. But there's value there. And, of course, the props up. If you get them at 40-1 to 1 now, they win one or two playoff games. You're selling an odds of 4-1. to 1, You're making 10, 12, 15 times your money if you time it properly. Right. So the, the top three teams in the AFC, I think without question, are the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. Uh, but all three of those teams are single-digit odds. And so if you look at the other AFC teams, Ravens, Dolphins, you know, Titans, Chargers, I like the Chargers more than all those teams, uh, uh, you know, uh, available. And so, yeah, so I, I'm thinking Chargers are the fourth best, fourth best team in the AFC, and, and they're 45-1. to 1. So, um yeah, I think there's some uh, there's some value there, but uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be a little tough coming in at a, as a wild card. But again, we saw that last year with uh, with the Bengals, uh, they won a bunch of road playoff games uh, because Joe Burrow got hot, and I think Herbert Herbert and Burrow will be compared uh, forever together. And uh, you know, I think ask you know each week I, I may have a different answer who's who's better, but I think uh, you can't say that one is considerably much better that, than the other. But um, I I would I could see Herbert making a playoff run. Agreed. Yeah, they're, they're completely different quarterbacks. Burrow is more like Herbert has a stronger arm. Herbert's probably a more accurate passer. Like, he can run better. Like, they're totally different quarterbacks. So, Burrow's got swag. It seems like he's a little bit more of a vocal leader. Like, the, the players love Joe Burrow on the Bengals. As not saying that Keenan Allen doesn't love Justin Herbert, but they're just, they're different quarterbacks. One's a more raw talented. The other guy has some, has some moxie, as, as, as uh, football guys would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for providing your, your moxie this week. Um, thank you. And thank you for, uh, for tuning in. Uh, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.